This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and subscribe to the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. And also, uh, if you're in Indianapolis or going to Starbase Indy, uh, which is a local sci-fi convention here in Indianapolis, uh, this weekend, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, we're going to be there. Uh, we're going to be hosting a panel uh, with Mike George of of, uh, of, of Starbase Indy. It's going to be a summer movie preview panel for the next summer's uh, really, really uh, big summer movie season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you're at Starbase Indy, that's Sunday, uh, November 29th at 10 a.m. We're going to be having our panel there. Uh, and you can hear uh, us and Mike George from Starbase Indy uh, talk about this year's summer movies at last year's panel. That's not confusing at all. Um, <laughs> in episode 85 of the Obsessive Viewer podcast, to which you are now listening to. Also, um, I, I want to give a shout out to Sleep With Me podcast, uh, which I, it's it's a little not in the same genre or anything, but they were... Uh, uh, Scooter, the the guy who hosts it, uh, was kind enough to give us a shout out because uh, I'm a avid listener to it. It's basically a sleep aid podcast <laughs> that it's he just tells stories like bedtime stories. Basically, I, I think I may may have mentioned it on the podcast before, mm-hmm. but you can find that at sleepwithmepodcast.com. It's really awesome, and it is literally I listen to it every single night. And, nice, yeah, and it's like I can't. It's it's made it so that I can't go to sleep when it's when it's silent. Like, nice. yeah, it's it's so, really effective. So it's effective, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because he like gave a shout out because he was going to um he put the, he he tweeted me and asked me. By the way, it's at dearest scooter on Twitter. He asked me what the uh, what my, what my links are for for the podcasts and everything. And then uh, that night I listened to the episode and I I fell asleep before I got to the <laughs> actual uh, reference. So. That's I assume hilarious. that he did. But, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. But anyway, Tiny, what are we talking about today? Food documentaries. Yes. In honor of Thanksgiving. Yes. Which is the day after tomorrow as of this recording? Yes. Yes. Which hopefully I'm going to get this up tomorrow. Uh, cool. So Wednesday. Anyway, uh, yeah, Thanksgiving food documentaries. Uh, yeah, there are a ton of different food documentaries. So many. And we're going to talk about a lot. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. There's, there's a ton. And like, this is kind of an idea that I had kicked around in the back of my head a while ago. Um, but never really got around to, uh, kind of, uh, never got around to really pitching it until recently when I was just browsing Hulu and stuff like that. Um, so it's really, it's, you, you know, there's a lot of different food documentaries, a lot of different kinds of food documentaries. Mm-hmm. We didn't really have a rhyme or reason to picking this one. Uh, or to picking the ones that we did. So we're just going to kind of go through a list and bounce off each other. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So horrible introduction. <laughs> Tiny, <laughs> do you want to get us kicked off with our first, first food documentary of the episode? I'd be very happy to. The first one we have is probably the most famous on the list. Uh, it is Super Size Me from 2004. 
uh, written and directed by Morgan Spurlock, uh, who has become semi-famous. Right. Um, had a TV show on FX for a while. Is it still on? No, I don't think so. I think that then, yeah. I don't know if it was a one season wonder, but I think it only did like one, one or two seasons. It was, uh, if I'm short lived. Yeah. If I remember correctly, it was called 30 days where basically mm. the conceit of it was that he was going to, uh, spend 30 days in a lifestyle that's not his own, um, to see what it's like, basically. Right. Okay. Basically an offshoot of, an offshoot of the idea of Supersize Me. Right. The concept. Yeah. yeah. Which I think that's one of the strongest suits of Supersize Me. Um, mm-hmm. the concept is Morgan Spurlock, uh, ate nothing but McDonald's for 30 days straight. Right. And documented the whole thing. Um, and this was 2004, um, when, before, like, I think the whole food controversy really took off, mm-hmm. um, that comes up in some of these other documentaries we're going to talk about. But, uh, yeah, this movie was hugely popular for a documentary. Um, yeah. Every couple years, every five years, we'll get a big documentary like this, like mm-hmm. Super Size Me or, um, uh, uh, Inconvenient Truth. Right. Or, um, I can't remember the, uh, all the different, um, Michael Moore ones. Right. <laughs> which are, uh, Famous for certain reasons. Yeah. The only thing I can come up with as an example is exit through the gift shop, but that's a different thing because it's not a social. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't thing. quite as culturally impactive yeah, as that's these a other horrible ones. example. But anyway. Well, I mean, it was, I mean, wildly popular documentaries, basically. Pretty popular. Yeah. yeah but so. not like social. Right. Commentary. Because for the most part, you know, documentaries get, they get shuffled, shuffled to the back and people don't really know that much about documentaries. They'll see one or two good ones in a year or like really famous ones, but then some of the ones that are like really good and really famous or not are really good get sh- lost in the shuffle and people never see them. It's really unfortunate. Right. It's just kind of a, a, a slightly disparaged genre, which is really unfortunate, but uh super size me broke that mold and it, uh, it really took off in 2004 and people were talking mm-hmm. about it. And I think a lot of people were shocked by it because, you know, McDonald's is like this, it's just this ju- unstoppable juggernaut in right. American culture. It, it's, it's McDonald's. <laughs> it's, and it's not an American culture anymore either. It's around the world. Right. Um, I think like on the island of Manhattan alone, there's like 80 some McDonald's. Jesus. Which is just insane. Um, you can go to wow. remote countries in, in Africa and South America and there are McDonald's there. Jeez. Um, it's all over China. It's in Japan. It's in Europe. It's just, it's become a, worldwide institution mm-hmm. and uh everyone just kind of you know had this connection to it everyone's been to mcdonald's right yeah. you know and then w- we find out through this documentary that it's really really horrible food for you <laughs> it's uh yeah a lot of chemicals in it it's not very natural food um one of the more intriguing parts of the documentary is i believe when they take various food items from the restaurant and just let them sit in a jar yeah, and see how they deteriorate and break down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the more shocking things is that the French fries, um, they, they never change or break down. Jeez. Nothing happens. They just sit there and they don't change at all. Uh, it's because they're artificial. It's not actually potato. It's chemicals and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so through this documentary, there's just a really, really powerful message that I think a lot of people were shocked to learn. Um, uh, Spoiler alert, McDonald's is awful for you. <laughs> um, I think he, Morgan Spurlock ate this, ate this food for every meal. He ate nothing but McDonald's. Right. 
for 30 days. And I think he he gained like 25 pounds or something. I think so. And, and one of the big conceits or one of the big, uh, things about it was also that he not only ate, he only, he not only ate McDonald's food for one month for three meals a day, every day for three, for one month, but anytime they, uh, at least in the beginning, anytime the person working like the drive through or anything, uh, asked if he would want to supersize a meal, he, he would like that he was, was obligated to say it. yes. Yeah. 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 Which that actually ended up, <laughs> that ended up like that, like you can, uh, they no longer have supersize <laughs> right. at, at McDonald's. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's one of the interesting things is about the, the movie is that it's, it, it kind of, I, it's definitely not unfair to McDonald's, but right. I think people kind of focus on McDonald's, but really it's, it's pretty much all fast food. It's, yeah. it's, you could, he could, done, he could have done the same thing with any other burger place or Taco Bell or KFC or Arby's. It's just, right. it's all really terrible for you. And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, McDonald's took a big hit as a result of it. Um, so some people think it's a little unfair in that respect, but, uh, I thought it was a really cool experiment. It's mm-hmm. highly empirical. It's not a very scientific experiment. Right. But, uh, still, it's, I mean, you can't change the fact that that's all he ate and he, his health just deteriorated. Right. Drastically. Um, and I think it's a really, it's a really cool documentary because it's, because the, the filmmaker is in it. He cannot be right. less in it. You know, it's like <laughs> he literally sacrifices his own health mm-hmm. to, to make this point. I think that's what's really shocking about him, why it's such a cool documentary. You know, he's, he's filming something in real time. It's not, it's not just a bunch of talking heads being, talking about something that happened a while ago. Right. You know, this is like something, it's, it's an experiment that's being filmed. Um, so it's, it's really cool and it's really unique in that respect. And I think that's why it stuck out mm-hmm. a lot. Um, he's a method documentarian. <laughs> he is. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, he's, he's done a couple other things since. Yeah. Um, he did the one movie. I don't recall what it's called about advertising. Yeah. Uh, it, I think the it greatest has, movie ever sold. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I think it's, it's called Palm Olive. Palm Olive presents the greatest movie ever sold. And yeah. If I'm not mistaken, don't quote me on this, but he basically held a, uh, um, what is it? He, he held like a contest for someone. For, for like a company to sponsor the movie. Right. And that's yeah. how he got like Palm Olive was the one that, yeah. that got it. I think that might be his most recent one. Yeah, I think so. Um, but he's done a lot of things. Well, no, he's done a couple shorts and stuff like that. But yeah. Um, oh, he directed the One Direction This Is Us documentary. Oh, uh, how did I miss that one? <laughs> oh, he also. <laughs> how did I miss that One Direction? Oh, God damn it, Tony. Hey. Um, and then in 2012, he uh, made Mansom. Which is a documentary that explores the question, in the age of manscaping, metrosexuals, and grooming products galore, what does it mean to be a man? <laughs> um, and it's kind of interesting because he, if you don't mind me, me kind of going on, uh, please, onto my thing, uh, or onto, onto my discussion of this, he, I, I, I'm not too familiar with his stuff really. Uh, Supersize Me was his first documentary. It's 7.3 on, uh, IMDb, which, you know, user ratings and all that, but, uh, it's got a 73, 73 meta score, whatever. Um, but he kind of got some, uh, I, okay. So I, I saw supersize. I got, saw most of supersize me in, uh, 2004, 2005, whenever it hits, uh, DVD, because at the time I was working at blockbuster 
And uh, uh, speaking of speaking of worldwide institutions, I was working at Blockbuster. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was able to rent it for free, so I watched it, and I didn't, I never finished it, but I um I remember being I remember distinctly there was one scene where fairly early in it where he <laughs> he's so disgusted by having to eat having to eat mcdonald's every day that he actually just pukes some up like yeah. in the like in the like outside the car after getting the food and eating it mm-hmm. um yeah but um the more i reflect on it now um and granted i haven't seen it all the way through i haven't seen it in years and over a decade but i kind of feel like there's there's a fundamental flaw in the in the premise mm-hmm. and he's gotten some flack for this because of course of course if you eat fast food for every meal every day for a month it's going to just wreak absolute havoc on your health and everything like that but um it kind of has this under this underscoring um this underlying like uh mythology or not mythology but this underlying uh premise or or point making that that's this is what's causing like the obesity uh, uh, epidemic and all that stuff which i mean it's saying that like okay yes this food is wildly unhealthy for you and everything and it is completely unhealthy for you but it's mm-hmm. also saying like this is not what's causing people to become obese it's it's over overindulging in it is it's, yeah it's not like, like there's um i haven't seen this but there is a reaction documentary uh called fathead uh from 2009 it's on hulu and basically it's it's uh, a comedian and uh it's some comedian slash health writer i think he uh he he sets out to prove that you can lose weight on a McDonald's diet, mm-hmm. um, which you can't because it's it's calor- caloric intake. Uh, just eat portion eat, control. Yeah, portion choices. control. Yeah, eat less calories than what you're uh, uh, burning and everything. You're going to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's kind of a fundamental flaw in the premise of uh, Supersize Me, but it's it's an it's an eye opening uh, documentary about the process of fast food and, and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and there are several other documentaries like that too. But um, right. But yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said this was kind of like uh, it was a breakout because it was one of the first from to my knowledge that kind of took out like took a stab at uh, fast food, the fast food industry um, that has been uh, an institution for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so that's super size. I mean, you can rent it on uh, uh, Google Play for like two ninety nine, and it's also I don't think you can rent it on iTunes. Weirdly enough, but you can hmm. buy it for nine bucks. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, do we have anything more to say about Supersize Me, or should we move on? Uh, it made me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> no. I had Wendy's for dinner. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so I my first one um, is uh, Sriracha from 2013 it's a short <laughs> it's a short 30 minute documentary um about sriracha the hot sauce um <laughs> tiny how do you feel about sriracha i don't really eat it I don't, really i don't really use it i use i use other hot sauces that i like a little bit better what uh what hot sauce do you prefer over sriracha and uh how do you feel being wrong <laughs> <laughs> i use uh my favorite is cholula Okay, um, that's I can't. a really good one. I can't argue. And with that. Frank's Red Hot is just a classic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, but yeah, Sriracha is <laughs> it's available on Hulu and also on Amazon Prime. Uh, the description is uh, uh, here. The plot description. If, if 
plot description, premise, whatever. Is, <laughs> uh, Sriracha has earned a cult following, but the story of this spicy sauce is a mystery to most fans. Dedicated to Sriracha lovers, this documentary travels around the globe to reveal its origin and the man behind the iconic rooster sauce. Tiny, what do you know about Sriracha and the manufacturing of it? Absolutely nothing. That is exactly how I felt going into this documentary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, judging from the, judging from the bottles and everything, you would think that this is like an import from like, uh, an, uh, an Asian country or something. Uh-huh. It's actually manufactured here in the United States, mm. uh, by a Vietnamese guy who came to the country after, uh, I think it was the fall of Saigon. Uh, and he doesn't rely on any advertising. Like it's, wow. it's all produced. Like he just, people love the sauce and people get it and he doesn't have to spend a dime on advertising wow. and it's just grown. Like, and it's, it's amazing. And what the documentary does very, very well. And, and it, it juggles a lot of different things. Uh, it goes through the manufacturer of it, the history of the, of the man behind it, uh, the history of Sriracha, the name, and also the, uh, fandom that's kind of spread <laughs> throughout the country, mostly by hipster college students. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and, and it just goes through all of these things in a, in a compact, uh, 29 to 30 minute, uh, documentary short that was really interesting. And throughout it, it actually played, uh, music throughout it that was in, like, music inspired by Sriracha. Oh my God. Yeah. It was, it was really interesting. And I, and also throughout it, they, um, they played calls from, customers that called the number that's on the bottle the like, yeah you know feedback and all that and it's just it was just really charming to hear people say, people call and like talk about like like talking about how much they love the sauce um <laughs> it was just it was just oddly charming and and uh disarming too and it was really interesting to to see how it's how it's made and everything like the guy has uh he uses chilies from like one sole su- supplier and then they like it talks a little bit about the relationship and all that and it's it's really interesting and, and probably one of my favorite parts that could have actually sustained its own feature length documentary probably huh. is how it showed people the level to which people love sriracha um and the fandom surrounding it. like there's there's one guy who's written like two cookbooks that's based on on sriracha uh, around sriracha wow. uh one a normal <laughs> normal one a you know just cookbook and the other a vegan uh sriracha cookbook cool. and he <laughs> he has a custom license plate that says sriracha <laughs> Jeez. yeah they show people with like uh tattoos and also uh there's apparently in la there's a sriracha like food festival it's just it's really charming and then they also go into kind of the naming rights or, or why sriracha the name isn't uh isn't branded and copywritten or anything like that um that in that I'll leave for people to watch because I do think that it's a, it's a nice it's charming little short documentary it's not gonna you're not gonna waste thirty minutes watching it because it's it's really well done um, but I will say it takes them to Thailand um, hmm. yeah so wet the appetites there as <laughs> it were but um but yeah it's it's a really charming documentary um I can't remember the name of the guy who who made it but uh it's it's really good it's called Sriracha it's currently on Hulu and Amazon Prime um. If you have those services from 2013 and that's, you know, that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. And I, I am a hard and fast, uh, supporter of Sriracha. I love that stuff. Nice. Yeah. I probably need to give it a better chance. Yeah. I need to, when you do buy me a bottle, cause I'm actually all out. <laughs> Seriously. I, I actually use the rest of mine like Monday. Is it expensive? Um, not really. And I couldn't find any at Kroger. So, oh, that's a sh- yeah. And they don't have it at Sam's Club either, which bugs me. Yeah. Um, 
I'm a big fan of hot sauce in general. Mm-hmm. I have like four or five different kinds at home. Nice. Um, I like it all. I mean, there's, you know, you have the more like t- kind of like tomato based ones, more mm-hmm. tomato chili based, but then you have like the vinegary ones like Tabasco yeah. or I like them all. I don't think there's any wrong way to go. Nice. Nice. Speak, uh, you, you know, I really like, uh, putting, uh, well, I really like putting Frank's hot sauce on rice. And speaking of rice, do you want to bring up the? I'd love one? to. Transition. Did you see what I did? There? I did. I did. Good. I mean, I I couldn't let it go un unnoticed. Nice. Um. Uh. The next one is Jiro Dreams of Sushi from 2011. Um. This is on Netflix. It's also on Hulu. Um. This is a documentary uh, about an 85 year old sushi master, Jiro Ono. His renowned Tokyo restaurant and his relationship with his son and eventual heir Yoshikazu. Um. Basically, this guy is the best, pretty much the best sushi chef in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, I mean, I think most people, based on what's, what's presented in this documentary, and if you, I think if you look him up online, pretty much everyone thinks he's the best sushi chef in the world, which is a huge achievement given how popular sushi is around the world now. Right. Um, it used to, it's mentioned in the documentary that 30, 40 years ago, sushi was, a pretty rare thing and even in japan it wasn't especially popular um but it was it was sort of common but it wasn't popular um but now you know sushi's everywhere i mean it's 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 permeated american culture and it's really popular in europe and and everything so it's become hugely popular and you can find it everywhere and so to to find an 85 year old man who's the best sushi chef in the world is pretty cool mm-hmm. um and this guy is really interesting, Jiro. Um, he's, he's been a sushi chef since he was 10 or 11 years old. He's been making yeah. sushi and, uh, he, he has one restaurant in Tokyo and it's, you can only go there by reservation. Like a to, month in advance. You have to make your reservation a month in advance. <laughs> and the prices start at 30,000 yen, which I don't know what that, I, you know, one of the, I think the exchange rate, that's probably like 500 bucks or something. Okay. Yeah. One of the, one of the plot descriptions somewhere, Wikipedia or something says 300, but I don't think the conversion is that close. Yeah. It's something like that. Um, but still, it's just, it's, this guy is such a, such a, a niche part of, it's such a niche restaurant and yeah. he's such a, a unique chef in that respect. Um, the documentary very, very closely follows this guy and how he basically dedicates his almost his entire life to being a sushi chef. He he mm-hmm. works seven days a week, every single week. He doesn't like to take time off. Um, throughout most of his life, he would get up at five o'clock in the morning to go to work, and he wouldn't get home till ten o'clock at night. And I mean, he he became the best sushi chef in the world at the expense of being a husband and being a father right. and having a life, basically. His entire life revolves around cooking rice and slicing fish and putting them together. I mean, that's, it's, it's just really amazing the dedication of this one man to one thing for his entire life. And the fact that at 85 years old, he's the reigning champ and shows no signs of slowing down. And there's Um, a, there's a word that they use that I I don't remember what it is. Umami? No, um, it's a word for like the, the kind of, the, the amount of discipline he has, I think. Oh yeah, I think that's what that was. Know. But yeah, um, but yeah, it, it was really, really impressive. And uh, like the, 
like the shots of the sushi, like when he's serving them and stuff, it, yeah. it looks like freaking works of art. It does. And it made me super hungry and super in the mood for sushi. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it, it just like just the care, the level of care that goes into crafting this, this little, this little tiny, this little tiny piece of sushi, uh, just looks just incredible. Right. Um, and then also, I, I really liked how, first of all, I, I thought that it was a really well-made documentary, but it was kind of, kind of dull to me. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, like, I kind of, and it, it's funny, cause I, I kind of felt like he, I, I felt like the exploration or, or the, uh, uh, using him as a subject, I kind of wish that they would, it would have explored more about his life and everything like that. But then again, his life is sushi. Right. He doesn't so, have a very diverse life. Yeah. Like, I was like, about, uh, two quarters or uh, 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 two thirds of the way through, I kind of thought like we haven't seen him like at home or like what his normal life is or anything. Yeah. It's, Cause he doesn't really have one. It doesn't seem like, yeah. Um, but one of the things that kind of uh, resonated with me a little bit was uh, how they portrayed his son. Uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce that. I'm horrible at this, but um, Yoshikazu. There you go. I think. Pretend I said that. <laughs> um, but I-, I liked how they explored the idea of legacy and how, uh, his sons will have to carry on the legacy of of his sushi restaurant someday. And I, maybe I'm not projecting on it. Maybe maybe I'm reading a little more into it than uh, than what's there. But I kind of felt like there was a little bit of hesitance there, and uh, it kind of it felt like it, I was more engaged when uh, seeing uh, his son, that's going to be his heir, uh, kind of go through go through the motions and stuff like that. Yeah, he's almost the more interesting story because he has yeah. a harder job, right? Because he has to you know try to. You know, he hopes to be a better sushi chef than his dad, mm-hmm. but his dad's already basically perfect, and he has to become per- he has to become better than perfect to live up to his dad's legacy. And yeah, I, I agree. I think he's he's almost the better story. Yeah, um, there's a moment where he says like, I think it was him. He he talks about how when he was a kid, he he thought about he thought he would become. Uh, he names off a couple different professions: like a fighter pilot or a race Fight- car driver. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, that's, that's, that's kind of sweet, but it's kind of like, I kind of, it, it's, it almost felt like to me, and again, maybe I'm, maybe I'm projecting, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it kind of felt like he, granted, he was never going to be a fighter pilot or a race car driver, but yeah. I kind of feel like that was kind of communicating that maybe he's forsaken whatever dreams he could have had just so that he could, you know, he, he's, cause he's, he's living in, not, he's living in the shadow of his father, and mm-hmm. someday he's going to have to, you know, cast his own shadow and right. he's kind of i felt like maybe part of it was that he's locked into this this uh this this business that he his heart really might not really be into yeah but again maybe i'm reading too much into it or projecting or something mm-hmm. but yeah it was really interesting exploring all the the minutia of what it's like to have the best sushi restaurant in the world because <laughs> it shows how you know in order to become his his apprentice is trained for ten years. Yeah, like for years they only like for for years they only just cook rice. They teach you how to cook rice, and it takes you <laughs> years to perfect that. And then you start cooking this one kind of fish or this one kind of sushi, and it's like you do that for ten years, and then you're considered like a sous chef or something like that. Yeah, and it's like his son is fifty. And yeah. he's basically like a sous chef right now. He's not even <laughs> like you know normally someone who's fifty who's a chef would be you know really famous and like at least locally renowned but he this guy's still a sous chef at 50 years old mm-hmm. um and there's all these crazy it, seemingly crazy um aspects of this business how instead of going to the fish market 
getting all your fish and coming back. No, it's right. like they have one guy who's an expert in shrimp. Yeah. yeah. And then they have one guy who's an expert in tuna. And they have one guy who's an expert rice dealer. It's like they can't just they don't just go down to Cisco and pick up all their stuff. Right. It's it's just there's so many different steps and procedures and it just demonstrates what it takes to be perfect at something and be right. the best in the world and it's I'll tell you what if if that's what you want good luck because <laughs> I mean like they demonstrate that you you don't have a life and it's right. uh it's it's very interesting to look at but it's not something I'd ever want to do for anything yeah and it's kind of uh it's kind of it's that's kind of one of the things that I I uh connected to more in retrospect than anything else because not really in the moment is that it's depicting like you know perfectionism and mm-hmm. and uh the the ambition that it takes and the, and the drive that takes you to be to be perfect um at something and that's something that's a, uh, applicable to pretty much you know any kind of endeavor that you go into yeah. um if you're if you're the yeah. best at something in the world that's all the, that you have in your life right and it's and it's kind of it's kind of sad <laughs> it it is it is and it's like like we've been podcasting for like two and a half years, so yeah. here in about, you know, what is that? Seven and a half. We'll we'll be the best. <laughs> but which, by the way, I I really like. I'm I'm tickled to think that, uh, to imagine like the apprentice, the like his apprentice, uh, apprentices, apprentices, um, <laughs> uh, like like just going on the internet one day and like going to Amazon and seeing like, oh, rice cooker, thirty bucks. that's hilarious no but there is actually there's there's a really nice moment or really interesting moment where they talk where they show like the level that that goes into preparing the rice and it's like like they weight it and they and they they put they put the right amount of pressure on it for the right amount of time it's Mm -hmm. like it's it's really they fan it with like a hand yeah fan it's like geez and it's all like meticulous and just and just just engineered to to make it the best uh taste and everything and it's it's amazing because when you when he when he serves it's like these little pieces. I mean, it's like it's a full course and everything that they go through, but like each each little piece of sushi, it's like this little tiny thing. Yeah, it's like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably the best part of the documentary for me was seeing uh, seeing the way that uh, kind of toward the end where where Jiro is is serving his his customers and they're all they're all like they're all loving it and they're. Um, there's one guy in particular that, that, you know, compliments him and everything like this, everything like that, and has like a lot of really positive things to say. And like just the, just the happiness that, that Jiro has for that is just really satisfying mm-hmm. uh, and very visceral. And, and I, I really, I really dug it. Nice. Yeah. I liked it too. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so yeah, so that's Jiro Dreams of Sushi. So what do we have next? Well, um, Tiny, what is your favorite Chinese food dish? Uh, probably Szechuan shrimp. Oh, okay. Well, mine is general, general so, so's chicken. Um, and currently on Netflix is a documentary from 2014 called The Search for General So. Nice. Uh, and the description is who was General So and why are we eating his chicken? <laughs> this feature documentary explores the uh, the origins and ubiquity of Chinese American food through the story of an iconic and sweet spicy chicken dish. Have you watched this documentary at all? I have not, but okay. I'd like to. You know, it's it's kind of funny, and I, I will I will preface this entire review with, by saying that uh, 
that I, that I, maybe I didn't pay close enough attention to it. And I, I was kind of, I was really excited to watch this documentary. I really was. But early on, it kind of lost me and I, it kind of was kind of dull and, I don't know. Maybe it's a fault on me as a viewer because maybe I wasn't invested enough in it at an early enough time. But there was a moment where I just kind of, I didn't check out entirely, but I, I was kind of, you know, waiting out the clock basically, uh, which is not a way to watch something. <laughs> right. But, uh, anyway, so, so but there, there's some interesting things about it. I think, uh, first of all, the thing that really, uh, interested me the most, and again, this is probably something that I would watch an entire documentary about is, uh, there's one guy who's used as a reference point because uh, they're charting the history of Chinese uh, Chinese American food. Um, and this guy collects Chinese restaurant memorabilia. Wow, that's weird. Which is a very niche niche thing to collect. Yeah. <laughs> and like he has a room that has like like boxes filled with stuff and he's he uses like like oh here here's a menu from here's a here's a copy of a menu from 1916 or something like that. Uh, that this is, this isn't the original because the original is in very, uh, poor condition, but this is a copy of it. Jeez. And you can see that here, General So is here. And yeah, he's used as a reference point, but I would definitely watch a documentary about him and other people with super bizarre hobbies. Um, <laughs> by the way, you're listening to the Obsessive Viewer podcast. <laughs> um, but anyway, the documentary is just, just okay. Um, they go into the history of the real uh, General So, but I, I wish it was more involved. Like, I, I would rather have watched a, a strictly historical documentary about, uh, General So and, you know, the, the, um, um, that culture and that, that history. Uh, but this is, I, I didn't come away from it feeling like they gave me a lot of interesting facts about the man because it's, you know, it's about food. The documentary is about food and, mm. uh, it kind of only examines, uh, general. So through the lens of the food made, uh, that that's so popular, um, in Chinese American, uh, uh, uh Chinese food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they go through and they show like random citizens, uh, menus and say like, do you, uh, do you guys have general so's here? And then they're like, no, we don't, I don't know what that is. I've never heard <laughs> of that. Um, so that led me to write in my notes, no one in China knows the so bro, which is the dumbest thing I've ever said on this podcast. Um, you know, it actually might be it. Yeah. I, I really think it might be. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, so I won't I won't spend any more time talking about this. Uh hmm. I'm a firm supporter of General So and uh and I kind of wish that there was a little bit more for me in this documentary and maybe it's just I I would have rather watched a historical documentary about about uh the man and the culture. But Gotcha. Yeah. Um so Tiny, what's what's next on, on for you? Uh next up for me is actually a TV show to switch it up a little Ooh. bit. It's uh it's on the History Channel and it's called American Eats. Um there's only 15 episodes, and I think it started in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what the deal is with it, really, to be honest with you. But looking um, it up, it doesn't. It I think it only ran for one season. Yeah, uh, but I thought it was open ended on IMDb. Yeah. I don't know. It was, but I think, and then I think they have different, uh, not spinoffs, but they have different like standalone things. I, I don't okay. know. Okay, gotcha. Well, but anyways, I I think I've seen every episode uh, at least a couple times. Um, <laughs> it's. To, to give you a synopsis, um, the series examines the history of American cooking and foods. Each episode details the particular food's origins, key innovators, history, and evolution into modern cuisine. The series is subtitled The Food That Built America, due to its reverence for food's place in American history and its impact on culture. Um, 
it's on the History Channel. So <laughs> one of my favorite things is when you take something like, oh, this is a documentary about soccer, and it's mm-hmm. mostly history. Um, so you feel like you're getting a documentary about food, but really it's, it's, it's very historical and you get all these really cool anecdotes and stories from the past. Um, one of my favorite episodes is about potato chips, hmm. how those started. And, and those kind of started because, um, some chef in some restaurant was like short staffed and he had a really, uh, a really like famous, I, I may, I may not be doing this story justice or I might be, misinterpret or misremembering some of it, but he ended up, he had potatoes and he just ended up slicing them really thin and throwing them in a fryer and serving them. And the people thought they were amazing. And so he made it a staple and it just took off from there. And now it's a billion dollar industry, just, just potato chips. Um, and it's, it's just really amazing. All these different stories that get told. Um, the, I think it's from, potato chips where the the phrase uh you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel here huh comes from potato chips because really? when they were first widely distributed they were distributed in wooden barrels and of course you know you'd pop the top you'd scoop some out put them in a bag and sell them to the customer hmm. after a few weeks when you finally get to the bottom of the barrel they're all worn out and soggy and no gross and it's just little chips and so scraping the bottom of the barrel you're getting huh. the crappy potato chips um, so it's just really fun little anecdotes like that that really make this show incredible. Um, it's an hour long show. So, you know, with commercials, it's 42, 43 minutes or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, so they really have time to dive into these subjects and, and hit all of these different stories. Um, another really good one is pizza because pizza has been basically stolen from Italians and made made into an American thing for the <laughs> most part. Um American pizza is very different from Italian pizza. Mm-hmm. Um obviously the Italians brought it to the US, but we've just really made it our own. Um and that that episode is so interesting, you know, it just it brings us all the way up to pizza rolls and frozen pizza <laughs> that you get at the grocery store and how we got to the that place. Jeez. Um it's just such a such an incredible show. I, I really love their dedication to talking about how food has become part of American culture. And, you know, I mean, some of the most famous stories in America have to do with food. You know, (laughs) someone's at a restaurant, something takes place at a restaurant or it's someone's cooking something and it starts the Chicago fire of 1920. You know what I mean? It's like food is just such a big part of American culture. And Mm -hmm. this show really explores that. And I, I love it. It's really fun. Unfortunately, it's not on like Netflix or Hulu or anything like that, but right. that's like, I totally want to find it and watch yeah. it because holy crap, that sounds amazing. It's really good. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I haven't seen any of it, so, you know. They, they um, show reruns on the History Channel all the time. Nice. Well, uh, I'm trying to transition. I can't, something about scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, uh, speaking of food, and, and, uh, interesting or accidental, um, creations of it, I guess. Horrible transition. <laughs> I watched The Great Chicken Wing Hunt. This sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's from 2013. It's a documentary about buffalo wings and the ragtag team that set out to find the perfect one. Uh, you can find it now on Hulu. And, uh, you know, it, it, it starts out with, uh, basically it's about this guy named Matt Reynolds who grew up in New York and he kind of, uh, 
uh, moved to Europe, uh, I think Slovakia, um, yeah. a, a, a while ago and lived, lived there for a long time. And, uh, but this, the documentary is about his trip back with a, bu- a bunch of his, uh, European friends. And they set out on this, uh, this kind of, uh, this challenge, this, this road trip, this hunt for the perfect or, or the, or the best, uh, chicken wing. And it's, it's really interesting. Um, first of all, it starts out with the history of the wing and why I made that horrible transition that I might cut out. Um, <laughs> uh, cause wings used to be discarded. Um, huh. like completely discarded piece of, piece of meat. Uh, and then one day it was just made completely by accident by, um, or kind of just by accident, uh, some, uh, some restaurant owner, uh, had a bag of chicken wings that they were about to throw out, saw like some, had some like cayenne pepper or something like that. And then they were like, Hey, you know, why don't we try this? And then an, an American tradition was born. Wow. Um, and I think that took, I think that was in the sixties in Buffalo, <laughs> New York. But anyway, so, so Matt Reynolds is this guy who's obsessed with wings, like super obsessed with wings. Um, he grew up in New York and he coins, he coins like upstate New York as the wing belt. Hmm. And, uh, you know, the, I don't know, the, like the documentary starts, it made kind of a big deal about the decision, uh, to come back or to come back to, to find the, find the best wing and all that. And it, they kind of play up the, um, the drama or the hesitance of, uh, his girlfriend, his longtime girlfriend, um, in it, but like that kind of conflict felt a little manufactured. Um, and it Mm -hmm. felt a little, I don't know. It it probably wasn't because a lot of it is kind of left off, off screen, um, which I respect because it's like, Oh yeah, she's pretty, she's pretty mad (laughs) because, uh, because of something that happened like the first two days or something like that, Hmm. but it's, it's left kind of off air, but they do uh, put an emphasis on it, I guess. But anyway, um, his wing obsession, uh, it kind of strains the likability of, of him. Hmm. Um, cause like, okay, there's, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a, there's an analogy that he makes, uh, that kind of, um, what is it to kind of, I guess, drum up the, oh, oh, it's to, to convince his girlfriend that it's a good idea. And he says like wings are like wings are like prime right now. Like this is the best time to be a fan of wings or something like that. <laughs> and uh and he he equates it to this trip to find the best wing would be like going to Naples after World War 1 right before pizza became huge. <laughs> and that analogy just did not track for me. <laughs> oh, no, that's stupid. Yeah, yeah. Um but anyway, so the actual the actual trip to to find the best wing uh, it was interesting. They had like a group of judges. They had a, they had a very refined grading system. They had different, uh, um, different, uh, criteria to, to base off of a, a 10 scale one. They actually, before the trip, they actually, uh, had some just, uh, mediocre wings that weren't part of the contest or anything, but they used that as kind of their base. Like they were like, like they figured out the score for it and they were like, all right, this is our, this is our control. Control wings. group. Yeah. yeah. So it was very, it was, it was about as scientific as, as, judging wings can be um <laughs> something as subjective as that yeah um and there was some nice comic relief because there's this one of the judges is this kind of older kind of hippie-ish kind of guy and uh, there's a moment like like after their th- i think it's on their third their third one they they go th- to a ton of different i think like some upwards of like 60 different wow. places yeah it's ridiculous um and then like there's a lot of like kind of conflict between between the group because they're all they all get really sick and tired of it. <laughs> but anyway, on like the third one, this they show this uh they show one of the judges saying like, Oh, this is perfect, this is a ten, this is a ten. And then like they're like, Well, 
hasn't he already said it's a 10? And like, <laughs> it shows like a montage. Like he rates everything as a 10. <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of nice comic relief there. And, uh, they go to a lot of places. The one that actually, one of the finalists I want, I won't give away which one won, but, uh, there was one really, uh, really interesting one that was like the sauce was the regular, like, like buffalo sauce kind of thing, but it was blended with, uh, with, with celery and blue cheese in the sauce. Nice. And it was like, it sounded just incredible. But, nice. Uh, yeah, but anyway, so kind of the, the, uh, the root of the, of the, um, the documentary is that it's, it's kind of establishing, there's, or there's a moment where he's talking to one of his European friends who's trying to, who's telling him that he's, he wasn't really on board with it or he didn't really, he couldn't really make sense of why he was, why Matt was so obsessed with wings. But, um, like once he, once he got to New York and he, he tasted it and he experienced it and everything, he realized that wings, Chicken wings are like an American tradition and it's a distinctly American thing and it's something mm. that's part of our culture. And like at the end of the day, I kind of wish that that aspect of it was explored a little, a little more fully or maybe not even fully, but just, uh, like, like the Sriracha documentary uh, talked about how it affected the culture. I kind of wish that this documentary was more about that, but I mean, that's mm. asking a lot for the documentary because that's not really what it was about. Yeah. But I kind of wish that, um, I don't know. I, I, it wasn't bad, but I, I was left thinking that it was just okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm really curious because uh, yeah. chicken wings is one of my favorite things in the world. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I, I, had, a, I had wings with a, with a friend over the weekend, and I said, <laughs> uh, I told told them about this, and uh, I talked about the analogy to pizza, and then they were like, like I was like, that doesn't track because wings aren't like, wings aren't that like amazing and they were just like bite your tongue <laughs> um, it's like okay that's funny where's your favorite wing place Ooh. or what's the best wing you've ever had <sighs> do you know off the top of your head off the top of my head i don't i would okay i would almost say wings etc but no no hmm. not hooters either and that's another thing they actually they didn't go to like chains they went to yeah. like like little like right. uh, kind of restaurants but um mom and pop places yeah um you know i would say probably wings etc because that's the one i've been to more frequently recently gotcha uh how about you mine's actually uh a mom and pop place here in in indianapolis called chatham tap okay Um, yeah it's kind of like a it's on mass ave which Mm -hmm. is a neighborhood in downtown indianapolis um kind of a up-and-coming or a a very popular nightlife kind of place um Mm -hmm. my girlfriend used to live on mass ave so We, we went to those places a lot and Chatham Taps like a, like a, a, a soccer bar kind of. That's right. Like that, like during the world, uh, yeah, during the world cup, like the, there's people out on the street in front of Chatham Tap watching the move, the watching the games on like a projector. It's, it's a big deal there, but so it's a really cool place and they're known for their fish and chips. It's kind of has like a British theme to it, mm-hmm. but they make their own house sauce and they like double fry their wings or something. Oh my God. I it was just unbelievable the first time I tried them. I I could eat fifty of them. I mean they're just so good. That sounds um, incredible. It's it's all on, it's all in their sauce and, and they're nice good sized wings. <sighs> Love them. I want to get some right now. That sounds incredible. We might have to pause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm a big fan of like B Dubs and Hooters. Yeah. Oh, B Dubs is good. B Dubs yeah. is good. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so why don't you round us out for for the topic with our final uh, documentary? Absolutely. Uh, the last one, uh, is Food Inc., which came out in, uh, 2008, or Food Incorporated, I guess. Um, 
which basically the uh, the tagline or the, the synopsis is an unflattering look inside America's corporate controlled food industry. And that's really what it is. Um, it, it, it basically looks at how, um, how just like a lot of other businesses, um, just like how you don't have your local, you know, sporting goods store in, in your, on your main street in whatever town you're from, you don't have your little country grocery stores anymore. You have big, huge food corporations who are interested in turning a profit and they're not worried about presenting the best product they possibly can to their customers. They're not worried about how perfect the food tastes. They're not worried about how good it is for you, where it comes, what impact it has on the environment. They're just worried about making it as cheap as possible for the best price so that you will buy it and making money on it. And it's, it, it really just, this, this documentary explores how, how negative of an impact it's had on our, just overall on the, the diet of the standard, the typical American. Um, for example, uh, meat companies, hu- huge companies like the, the one that comes to mind is like Purdue. Um, mm-hmm. they make mostly poultry and stuff like that, but, you know, they, they have to supply tens of thousands of pieces of chicken every single week to the American public. And so, of course, you're not going to have, you're, you're not going to be able to have a chicken that you raise for a year, year and a half and, uh, you know, make sure it has a nice, healthy lifestyle. And then, uh, at the end of its time, you slaughter it and put it on the table. No, that's not what happens. You, right. you have, you hire, a biological engineer to change the DNA Jesus. structure of chickens so that they mature in six months instead of 12. And you have seven of them packed into one little cage instead of one packed into a cage. It's just, it's all about the industrialization of the food, the food, uh, the food industry, industry. In, in, in the United States. It's, it's really kind of disturbing. Um, one of the more famous parts of the movie is where I'll, they actually take cameras into a modern, uh, a slaughterhouse, a beef, a beef slaughterhouse, which has turned into a really, a, a very, a very disturbing process. Um, the, the cows are strung up by their legs and they're, they have a, their, their brains get sucked out. And then you have these grossly underpaid employees who just with, just with hand knives and stuff, just carve up this carcass and send it down the conveyor belt. And they're just surrounded Jeez. by, they're just surrounded by flesh and blood and skin just all day long. It's just, it's such a, seems like such a horrible working condition. So it, it's, it's not only horrible for the creatures that are being, being slaughtered in an industrial way. It's terrible for the people who work there because they just, they have to do this awful stuff and deal with, I mean, they have to deal with gross, rotting flesh, the stuff that we don't eat from the animals, and they get paid terrible wages, and they have terrible hours, and it just explores all this, all this awful, all these awful practices that the the companies have gotten into. Um, I know there's a part of it where they talk about how things that are sweet, uh, candy bars and and uh, um, soda and Anything sweet, basically, it used to be, um, flavor. It was made sweet with sugar, 
mm-hmm. uh, traditional sugar, refined or pure sugar. Uh, but now, as a result of agricultural changes over the past half century or so, uh, most things that are sweet are sweetened by art- by a high fructose corn syrup. Right. Which is a form of sugar, but you have to go through a ton of chemical processes and a huge, ridiculous, like Heisenberg style chemistry set to get. It's just, it's technically natural sugar, but it's not something that we were designed to, you know, that the human body was designed to process on a regular basis. Um, soda and pop, whatever you want to call it, has become so ubiquitous across this country. We just think, well, you know, every restaurant has Coca-Cola. It can't be that bad for you. But really, <laughs> soda is just liquid candy. Right. That's what it is. You know, we, we think of it as just a typical drink, but it's not. Um, and it just shows how this documentary demonstrates how everything has just escalated to the point where it's about it's about making things as industrialized and as streamlined and as profitable as possible. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with health or quality or taste. It's it's a very it's a very scathing look at this industry. Um and yes. and, and most of us don't even really realize it. Right. Um, so yeah, it was a very uh depressing thing to look at, but uh <laughs> You know, as a result of it and some other documentaries and some other books and this whole culture that's coming around, where there's a lot of there, there's the whole you know like Whole Foods uh, right. tra- uh, trend that's taken off and organic foods, organic foods like and stuff like that, um, which I think is a good thing. You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of good. We should all be more weary of our diets, but right. uh, so it's 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 caused a good controversy. Um, but it's it's hard to it's hard to watch parts yeah. of it. Uh, it's, it's it's a really well done documentary. I haven't watched it like since it came out. It came out in two thousand eight, so mm-hmm. it's been a while. But I remember being pretty affected by it. Again, I had Wendy's for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I had Taco Bell. So nice. not nice. Like yeah. and, and that's interesting because like like we're like we're in our late twenties now, and it's yeah. like like it's you know yeah like you can't you know. Take care of yourselves, guys. <laughs> right, right. Like it's it's really tough, and and I feel like that would kind of scare the ha- scare the scare the crap out of me. Yeah, the documentary, which is available on Netflix and Hulu. Right it now. is good. Yes. Um. Yeah. So uh. So that does it for our topic, but I do want to kind of spotlight some other food documentaries that like um that are available and that are out there now. Because I had we we came up with like a master list of different uh, different food documentaries, and I watched as many as I could, but I couldn't watch all of them. Uh, the first one, like I'll run through this list fairly quickly, but the first one that I'm I'm kind of bummed that I didn't get a chance to watch because because uh, it sounds really interesting. Uh, it's called Candyman. Uh, it's the story of the rise and fall of David Klein, the man who invented Jelly Belly jelly beans. It's available, <laughs> yeah. It's available on Hulu and Amazon Prime. I love how it says the rise and fall. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, then there's Chef's Table, which is a Netflix like exclusive documentary series uh, that goes inside the lives and kitchens of six of the world's most renowned in, uh, international chefs. Uh, each episode focuses on a single chef and their unique look at their and, and, and wow and their unique look at their lives, talents, and passion for their pl- uh, piece of culinary heaven. Uh, that's available on Netflix, and then in the in a similar vein, there's a spinning plates from 2012 that's also available on Netflix. It's about three unique restaurants and their respective owners, uh, which makes me think that we should like follow up this episode some somewhere down the line with like documentaries about the restaurant industry. Nice, that would be interesting. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, and then there's also Beer Wars about. Uh, That's a great documentary. Is it nice? Yeah. I, I'm I'm a big fan of beer, so. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's on a that's about like the craft beer industry, is yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. And how it's how uh you know, it's uh, threatening the big it's threatening big beer, if nice. you will. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I like Sun King beer, but me too. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's available on Hulu. Uh, then Tapped, also available on Hulu, is about uh, the bottled water industry. Sounds mm-hmm. like, did you ever see that one? I didn't, but I have okay. it in my queue. Nice. Uh, this one I was really interested in but i didn't get around to it's called i'm not nuts living with food allergies <laughs> uh, it's on hulu and uh it sounds interesting uh then there's food matters available on netflix and amazon prime it's uh examines how the food we eat can help or hurt our health uh help or matt hurt our health i'm so hey. sorry this next one and then i promise i'm almost done then we can go to potpourri um <laughs> This next one is called Hungry, and I think that this this might come up in a future topic that we're going to discuss at some point. Um, spoiler alert: it's alternative um, alternative sports movies. Um, <laughs> but this is about uh, the jaw dropping exploits of several co- competitive eaters, <laughs> um, and it, and it sounds like kind of like kind of sounds like the documentary King of Kong, but yeah. for food like competitive food eating huh. kind of thing. It's available on Hulu and Amazon Prime. It's called Hungry. And then finally, there's Vegucated, uh, which is on Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime. It's a gorilla-style documentary that follows three meat and cheese-loving New Yorkers who agree to adopt a vegan diet for six weeks. Wow! Which, yeah, I'd rather die. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> so, some in another life, I I knew a vegan person. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I like what is it called? Um, there's a, there's a place that's there's there's a restaurant. Um called uh it's like a it's like a sports bar um not sports bar but it's like it's a bar in uh broad ripple um it's right on the tip of my tongue Hmm. uh anyway anyway that that caters to to vegan um Hmm. diets and everything and there's uh there i do remember being really drunk one night and being there and there being um kind of like like kind of like faux chicken wings basically Mm -hmm. made with uh satan uh, satan yeah satan 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 okay i think it's uh satan is it Satan? No, I'm just telling you to say tan. Tan. Thank you. Um, <laughs> anyway, Jesus. but uh, but I remember thinking that that was pretty good. But then again, I was also drunk, so yeah, that could have <laughs> been whatever. Um, really quickly, have you ever um, attempted or successfully done a like a food challenge type thing at a restaurant? <laughs> uh, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Um, really? The big ugly challenge at, uh, oh, at, at Bubs. At Bubs. Yeah. Yeah. Bubs what's, burgers and ice cream. What's that one? What do you have to do? It's uh, basically, uh, and you know, if listeners, uh, there's also um, uh, Man versus Food. Yeah. And there's an episode uh, where he goes to Bubs Burgers in Carmel, Indiana. It's this. Uh, it's this real like it's best best burger I've ever had. Yeah, they're terrific. Uh, it's it's incredible. Uh, it's super like artery clogging and everything but yeah um basically it's like it's like a like an obscene amount of meat an obscene amount of cheese butter all that stuff all just perfect and like the challenge is that if you eat if you can eat one and finish it and finish everything that's on the plate all the toppings and everything that you order with it um you get your picture on the wall nice if you finish two you get like a like a headshot and if you finish Mm -hmm. three you get uh a cardboard cutout of yourself. <laughs> and if, or that might be four. I, I don't know. If you finish four, you get a heart attack or something. But, um, <laughs> but I was able to finish one and, uh, nice. is the, 
Not the happiest day of my life. Well, it was it was really good. It was delicious. <laughs> it was freaking delicious. I'm glad it wasn't the happiest day of your life. No, that would be really sad. <laughs> but Bub's Burgers and Ice Cream, it's it's a fantastic place. And nice. Carmel's really nice. Oh, it's a nice place. Yeah. I uh, I ate 50 wings at Hooters when I was in high school. Wow. 50. That. Yep. Wow. Yep. Which it's crazy because I get into 40, no problem. Right. 40, I was fine. Was it but the then happiest had, day of your life? It, it was not. <laughs> um, but then I got to like 42 and I was like, oh, this sucks. Ugh. And then 45, I was like, I don't know. And then like the last yeah. two were just death. <laughs> it's, you're just so sick of it. Um, but I still love Hooters wings. Yeah. Yeah. Like the last time I went to, uh, like last time I went to Hooters for like all you can eat wings, like I, I didn't get that much. Like again, I'm getting old guys. Yeah. I'm almost 30. Yeah. Um, right. yeah. And then Bubs, I, last time I went to Bubs, I got just a regular hamburger. Right. Um, yeah. So, does that wrap us up for, uh, this episode's main topic? It does. Let's, awesome. uh, let's put that topic in a pot and pourry some good smelling yeah. stuff on let's, it. That let's, was. Let's do that. Let's, uh. Let's get smelling delicious in here. Yes. Let's get it smelling. Del- that's better. That's, I was going to make a flatulence <laughs> joke. But, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. After we, yeah, anyway, uh, potpourri. <laughs> Good God. Um, <laughs> potpourri. For first time listeners, potpourri is the section of the podcast where we talk about whatever we want as long as it smells good. Anything that we're watching, any news items that have, that have come to pass or anything that we're looking forward to, anything like that. Um, as long as it smells good. And I have two things. Tiny, you have one thing. I have one thing. Yes. Okay. So I'll start with mine. Listeners to last week's episode will know that we did an experimental thing that i'm uh i i kind of uh tested and i'm i'm gonna want to do more for me Mm -hmm. um basically tiny picked a random piece of paper out of a out of a bag and that that piece of paper had on it netflix 401 to 409 and that that uh he picked number 408 so i watched the number 408 on my netflix queue and that happened to be amistad 1997 uh from 1997, Steven Spielberg's movie about the 1839 mutiny aboard a slave ship that is traveling towards the northeastern coast of America. Uh, and much of the story involves a courtroom drama about uh, the free man who led the revolt. And, uh, nice. Yeah, so I watched that a couple days ago. A uh, couple quick things. One, uh, I tweeted when I started watching it. I said, Hey, Amistad, I'm gonna watch you. Uh, and I did. <sighs> And then, uh, kind of during it, I tweeted the less popular tweet, more like courtroom drama stod, am I right? Dear God. Yeah. So anyway, <sighs> um, if you're still listening, <laughs> Amistad opens with like a super violent depiction of the role. Tiny, you haven't seen this movie, have you? I have not, but I've, I've seen the opening scenes. Okay. I, yeah. I, I told, I told that in an anecdote in the last right. episode. Yeah. I totally was paying attention. Um, <laughs> but like that, that scene is just like amazing. Cause I, I mean, the the lighting and weather effects of the scene is just is incredible and it's it's super bloody like it's mm. it's crazy crazy violent um it's more violent than i would expect from a spielberg movie even cuz really? he's kind of you know i i kind of equate spielberg with you know happier movies yeah and stuff like that um then again he does have you know Schindler's list and all that but right uh in munich too um mm. same part right and Saving Private Ryan, there, yeah, and I, I would kind of compare it a little bit to Saving Private Ryan, and, really? and not to that scale per se, um, but just the, the kind of flashes of violence. It, it did remind me of Saving Private Ryan a little bit. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, you know, the my notes are kind of scattered here, but um, 
the focus of the movie is on the court case. And what was most interesting to me about it was that the court case is, um, the focus of it is, is Matthew McConaughey's character who he's like kind of an underdog, unproven, um, I think he's like a real estate attorney. Huh. Um, and he's taking the case and everything. And he's, uh, he does fine. He does, he does really well. He does really well. And kind of in, later in the movie, I kind of noticed that he, it was almost like he was attempting an accent, but you know, he has that such that thick drawl that it's, it, it was hard to, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was kind of like, he's so from Texas. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was like, I wrote in my notes, he's testing an accent and he's just shy of successful, <laughs> which is, probably a dickish thing to say about him but he, he he has an oscar he's fine um yeah so uh also worth mentioning that chiwetel ejiofor this is his first role nice and uh he acts as kind of a translator between um uh, between maddie mac and uh um uh, G- uh jaiman hunsu jaiman jaiman hunsu jaiman yes yeah uh which he's he's spectacular in this movie he's uh, a great actor jaiman uh, uh i hunsu i I'm sorry. Anyway, <laughs> he's phenomenal. And I remember, I remember seeing him in like Gladiator in mm-hmm. the, in the late nineties and, 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 uh, he'd pop up in movies every now and then, but I feel like he, uh, he was also in, was he also in Blood Diamond? Blood Diamond. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I feel Oscar like, nomination for that. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, I kind of feel like he, he should have had more. Like, like he, I feel like his career should, should be bigger because yeah. he's an amazing actor. Um, and there's one moment where, and this isn't really spoilers, but, um, but he is basically the entire case surround is surrounding the the um the ownership of these of these slaves on the ship basically because um, uh, I I can't remember the specifics but it's basically um they're treating them as as livestock for for uh, for a good portion of it which is it's just really terrible like, yeah absolutely just horrendous um and so so the case is kind of surrounding that and um. And there, I think there's more to it, but I'm, I'm, you know, abbreviating it here. But, um, there's a moment where, where Jiman, uh, Honsu's, uh, he, he stands up and he, he doesn't speak any English or anything, but he's, he's picked up a little bit through the course of the trial and he just, he just yells, give us free, give us free, give us free. And it's like, it's like just such a, such an impactful moment in the film. And I absolutely just thought it was handled spectacularly well. Nice. Um, it gave me chills. Um, and then there's a lot of, there's, uh, uh, Morgan Freeman is in this movie. Uh, he's kind of, um, I don't even remember really what, I just watched this a couple days ago and it, it didn't really stick with me that much, but, hmm. um, but he, like, as soon as he started talking, I, I just thought like he elevates everything. Like yeah. his voice is so perfect. He has such a um, presence to him. He does. And, uh, Anthony Hopkins is, uh, in it as, uh, John Quincy Adams, which he has a really incredible speech at the end of the movie. Um, that apparently he did in one take, uh, wow. which is just astonishing. It's like a seven page, um, monologue basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the movie overall was, was really good with strong performances and, uh, and impressive production design and all that. But it's, I wouldn't say it's my favorite Spielberg movie, uh, to be honest. Um, I thought the plot was a little, not necessarily hard to follow, but I felt like the pacing was just a bit off. Like it kind of felt a little long, like it's a two and a half hour movie. But it's it reaches a point with about an hour left in it that I feel like I felt like this is kind of the natural like ending point of the movie. Yeah. But there's an hour left in this thing. Wow. And it kind of got a little tedious. Um, but I will say that uh, there, there's a subplot involving one of the I don't I feel weird calling them slaves because they're not they're 
they're not technically slaves because they were they were taken and they were on a slave ship taken from Africa and they were on their way to America to be slave yeah. traded. But anyway, one of the one of the one of, one of the one of the guys discover he kind of discovers Jesus, uh-huh. which is a little. It felt a little weird, but like he he's basically uh um one of the not protesters but one of the people like Bible thumpers as they're walking into the to the courtroom they're like showing them the Bible saying like yeah uh, learn Jesus and all that and he just takes it like like as if he's supposed to like take it and he just takes it and he just carries it with him not <laughs> That's thinking awesome. that they're offering it to him but like he's he's reading it and like he, or he's not reading it because he doesn't speak English but he's seeing the pictures and everything and he's putting together it's a little bit of a stretch but he's putting together the story of Christ huh. um and there's there's like after after he's telling his his uh the other people there he's he's um he's telling them like his version of of what's going on from what he can tell from the pictures um and then afterwards like as like they're approaching the courthouse on the day of the verdict um there's this like it, it's incredibly it's a, it's an incredible shot because it's basically from his point of view from the street as he's walking toward the courthouse all in a big group um he looks up and he sees he sees behind the building, he sees a ship that's, that's coming into port and, uh, there's no sails on it. And the imagery of it is that like there's three like posts and it's all like, like it's crosses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like three crosses as he's walking in and it's just, it's, you know, it's after he's talking, talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, so it's really impressive, uh, filmmaking in, in that regard and all that. But, nice. um, and also worth mentioning again, uh, or, or to kind of close out this, uh, this thing but um uh steven spielberg and john williams like off the top of my head i cannot think of a better director and composer collaboration because yeah they're just insane and yes john williams is just beautiful in this in this movie nice. um he's a good looking man yeah well <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah. um <laughs> so yeah, so that's amistad it's on netflix uh it's number four it was number 408 on my queue but not anymore um, yeah, uh, and, and once again, I really enjoyed doing that and I think we're going to do more, um, nice. with, with that. Um, but yeah, uh, again, really, really good. Not my favorite, uh, Steven Spielberg movie, but impressive overall. So yes, tiny, what do you got for poopery? Well, I'm going to stop you there and, uh, <laughs> talk about my, Puppery. That's better than both of my jokes, you <laughs> bastard. <laughs> I'm gonna let you finish. Um, no, uh, I really don't have a, a a really deep topic this time, but uh, there was some news. Or, hey guys, sorry to cut into this episode, but just wanted to give you a warning uh, ahead of time that Tiny's potpourri section in this episode spoils the season five finale of Game of Thrones. So if you're not caught up with it. Skip ahead to about an hour eighteen, an hour and eighteen minutes into the podcast, or check the show notes for more exact uh, timestamps. There, uh, thank you. Yeah, some news announced um, yesterday, being the twenty third of November, I believe. Yes, is that when it came out? Sure. There was. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's about uh, the sixth season of Game of Thrones. Uh, HBO released the first poster, uh, mm. advertising poster for it. Um, <laughs> And spoiler alert: If you have not finished the fifth season of Game of Thrones, should we should we keep it vague? Just in terms of like like saying that I don't there's, think we can. I think we can. I think I think we can. Uh, there's 
at the end of the previous season, there is an event that uh, the internet kind of ran with after it aired, yes. saying that uh, not questioning the finality of it. And then the first teaser poster for it showed the subject of this thing. So the end of season five. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Jon Snow God damn it. <laughs> gets betrayed by the Brothers of the Night Watch and they stab him to death. Yes. That's what it looks like happens. And that is the closing scene of the fifth season. And ever since it happened, people have been up in arms. Is he really dead? Is he coming back? Oh my God, he's so hot. Um, <laughs> that's what people have been talking about in regards to Game of Thrones for the Ad last... nauseum. Yes, just Ugh. nonstop. And it's really kind of annoying. Yeah. Uh, and so I think maybe as a, as a middle finger or something, HBO's <laughs> first poster is just Jon Snow. And he looks like he's perfect, perfectly alive, except he has blood on his face. Yeah. So it's like... <sighs> I mean, and there's even people who are like, well, is he really alive in the picture? Is he actually standing <laughs> up or is he laying down? It's like, Jesus, people, that's, he's a character in a show. <sighs> and yeah, people are just dissecting this very simple poster. Mm-hmm. It just says April. And then I think underneath <laughs> it says, I don't even think it says Game of Thrones. I, I don't think it does either. I think it just says April HBO. Yeah. And then it's, it's just a, a picture of Jon Snow. It's, it feels so I don't know. I I honestly don't know. It's so yeah. it's so irritating to me because the second that that finale aired, it was like and we we did a bonus episode about the 5th season. You can check about it. I don't have the number offhand, but um it's it's in the feed. Um so the second that that happened, from the, from the word go, people were obsessing over over like, oh, does that mean? I think he's gonna he's gonna come back to life. I think that it's gonna be okay, or maybe not. And, and dissecting like, oh, uh, Kit Harrington is uh, he uh, he's he was seen in an airport, and that means he's going to right. film. And I'm like, like this embodies why I kind of hate the internet for a little bit. Thank yeah. you for downloading the obsessive viewer from the internet, <laughs> but <laughs> it's like it's. Like the internet culture of, of needing, or like the, our, our need for information. Yeah. At the cost of art and right. of, of presentation of, of entertainment is so, so ridiculous. And mm-hmm. we can go into a tangent about Star Wars also. Yeah. <laughs> because holy crap. Yeah. But it's probably worse than Game of Thrones. Yeah. Oh, so much worse. Yeah. So much worse. But yeah. Did you, did you, Offhand, did you see? Uh, did you see what the the big news item that a lot of reputable uh, news sources posted about uh, Star Wars today? Uh, no. J.J. Abrams was on Jimmy Kimmel last night. Okay, and there was a bit, like a comedy bit, where Kimmel says, "I need to get you. I need to get some information about Star Wars from you. So, what can you tell me is the first word spoken in the movie? The first first spoken word of dialogue in the movie." And then J.J. Abrams says, okay, it's this. And, and news, news article, news sites published it as news. Like yeah. these are the first, this is the first word spoken in Star Wars, the, the Force Awakens. And I was like, you seriously, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have a meltdown. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have a meltdown. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Jon Snow, what did you, what did you think of that poster? Um, I think it was just HBO's trying to stir up controversy. Nice. That's all it is. They're just trying to stir up controversy, get Game of Thrones back in the news before it comes back on the air, 
which isn't even going to happen until April, ironically. Yeah. It's six months away, which is kind of stupid. Um, I don't know. I think they're just trying to make, just make sure the show is still culturally relevant, mm-hmm. even though they're delaying the start of the, uh, the next season. So I think yeah. that's all it is. But of course the internet went crazy when, yeah. when the, the poster was, was, uh, was released, but I do think it's kind of interesting. He's in the season somehow. He's got to right. be. He's got to be. Whether it's just they, they, they come in right as he's dying, <laughs> and he dies in the first episode. I don't know. Who who knows? But clearly, he's going to be in it, and I'm sort of curious to see what happens. Right, and not to not to retread the past episode where we discussed it, but one of my big issues with the season five finale was that it felt so like that 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 scene at the end of the season did not impact me nearly as much as the entire world because mm-hmm. I felt like not the entire world, but like, like the, the most fervent uh fans that are, that are debating it and everything. Cause I was like, it to me, it's kind of a foregone conclusion that, uh yeah, foregone conclusion that, um uh that, that he's, you know, they're going to resurrect him or something because he's literally, there is no one left in that subplot in that location that is worth the damn story wise. And right. obviously they're setting it up to where they're going to bring him back and all that. It's, it's just, it's, it felt sloppy because they were, they weren't building toward, um, an end point in the books that, that, that's like the last of the books. Like they don't have anything to do set up, um, that's mm. been published. But anyway, you can hear us talk about rant about <sighs> season five of Game of Thrones earlier in the feed. I think it was back in, when did that finale air? July? maybe june june it was june June. uh back in june um yeah yeah so So, yeah that happened yeah it it did (laughs) it it did it did but tiny do you know what the back of rilo uh rilo ken's uh (laughs) kylo ren's that's that's his name kylo ren's helmet may say about the movie nothing yeah exactly nothing (laughs) oh and did you know that there's also a uh Oh god, this is a, this is such a tangent. I'm sorry. Uh did you know that there is a YouTube video that is all the footage from The Force Awakens in chronological order? Oh my god. In cro- no one's seen the movie. <laughs> and somehow it's in chronological order from the place of the movie. And and I, I, I'm oh, like I loved seeing the tweet from a reputable like uh, uh news source and like seeing the reply saying like, "Oh, I hear in about a month they're going to have like a two hours worth of new footage too. Um, just like as a joke, like, oh, like, that's, that's right. such a non story that like here <laughs> in a month, they're going to have the full movie. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so <laughs> the internet, oh, it, it bothers me, it's but, frustrating. but do you know what doesn't bother me about the internet? What's that? That Netflix is home to some of the best Marvel cinematic universe stuff. Nice. In the cinematic universe. Nice. Uh, and that transitions me to my popper, my second potpourri, which is Jessica Jones season one. Nice. Uh, which is, uh, the, uh, um, wow, what is, what is her name? Kristen Ritter. Kristen Ritter, yeah. Starring in, uh, in Jessica Jones about a former superhero decides to reboot her life by, by becoming a private investigator. This, this show is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's the second Netflix exclusive Marvel show after Daredevil, which premiered back in April, I think. Uh, did you ever get around to watching Daredevil? I have not. Okay. Uh, it's like, make that a priority. Nice. And then watch Jessica Jones, cause it's, it's, I'll tell you why. Um, <laughs> so, so Jessica Jones is, is, it's, it's not quite 
to the level of Daredevil uh, yet. I've, I, I should preface this by saying I've only seen the first six episodes. So it's six out of 13 episodes. I'm halfway through the season. But what's nice about it is that it's, it's nice seeing that Disney isn't interfering with Marvel's Netflix stuff. Basically, mm-hmm. like, like, you know how in Ant-Man they had that kind of, uh, kind of cutesy, like, oh, there's a pet ant because they blew up. Right. Or, or like it, it got big, big eyes. I don't know the word. Enlarged. Anthropomorphized? No, no, no. Kind uh, of a. Enlarged? Enlarged. There you go. Enlarged. Okay. And then like the, there's a little bit at the end where they're feeding it table scraps and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then like even to a bigger extent in Iron Man 3, the, he has a kid's sidekick. It kind of felt very Disney, mm-hmm. um, to an extent, but there's none of that in, in the Netflix shows because. Nice. I mean, both both Jessica Jones and Daredevil are just bloody and and super uh, dark and uh, awesome. And it's amazing because they they both fit into the Marvel Cinematic Universe proper, but they they're their own aesthetic and their own kind of universe. Like the promos for Jessica Jones, which is something I got a huge kick out of this in the promos, is that it says from the home of Daredevil. So it's not nice. from the studio that brought you Daredevil and the Avengers. It's not from Marvel Studios. It's not from Disney or anything. It's from the home of Daredevil, meaning that that while it is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it is it is its own entity and everything. And of course, they're building toward uh, having a Luke Cage show and then also having an Iron Fist show and then building toward the Defenders uh where they team up all together for a miniseries. Wow. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, so Kristen Ritter is, is Jessica Jones and she's amazing. Uh, a character describes her as a hard drinking, short fused mess of a woman. <laughs> and it's amazing. And another thing is that there's a, there's a, there's a fair amount of sex in this, which is really? interesting. Yeah. Huh. For a company that's owned by, by Disney. That's, yeah. that's really interesting. Um, and then also the, probably the most interesting part is, uh, David Tennant plays the villain. Nice. And the villain is this guy, Kilgrave, who has power to control people's minds. Hmm. And it's, it's freaking terrifying. He's menacing. It's really, it's amazing. Like, if you think about it, like, you have the, the ability to control anyone's minds. Like, that's, it, it breeds such a paranoia in the story and mm-hmm. such a just deep seated fear in the characters and, and, just like uncertainty of it. Like the stuff that he makes people do, it's like, it's kind of underplayed a little bit, but there, there's, there's flashes where he, where people, people, do, uh, people do things and, and they see the aftermath of things that people do. And it's just, it's just incredibly just engaging and, and creepy and unsettling. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and through the first like handful of episodes, there's a really interesting, like kind of unseen monster angle, uh, because it's, it's like, you don't know who's under who's under Kilgrave's control. You don't even see Kilgrave that much. It's just it's just you know that he's there and, and hmm. there's stuff going on that you don't know. It's just a very paranoia based um fear and, and it's it's done it's done incredibly well. Wow. Yeah. And uh but I will say that he's not quite as well developed developed in the six episodes as uh Wilson Wilson Fisk was in Daredevil, played by Vincent D'Onofrio, because mm-hmm. I mean Daredevil, like it it's the best, it's the best villain depiction I've seen in any of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Wow. Anything. Um, so, so then that may be a fault there, but I kind of don't get like some of the backstory of, of, uh, Kilgrave as I did with, with Fisk, but, okay. uh, but yeah, but other than that, I mean, it's, I'm really enjoying it. I watched six episodes in like two days and I can't wait to watch more. Nice. Um, yeah. And since we're not going to really have a proper potpourri, um, for for a while because we're about to record the next episode of the podcast immediately after this um if we're still going to do that 
But um, <laughs> and then uh, anyway, uh, also worth mentioning, I haven't gotten a chance to see it yet, but um, uh, the Man in the High Castle was just released uh, the season one on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, haven't had a chance to watch it, but uh, you can hear me talk about it in OV ninety seven at the fifty one minute mark. It's a it's an alternate history um show based on the Philip K. Dick novel about uh what if the Axis powers uh won and took control of d- divvied up uh the United States. And I'm really looking forward to checking that out and I'll talk about it at a later date. But nice. yeah. Um so that does it. Uh next week we're gonna have an episode about Creed. Yep. Really quickly, do you want to pick a potpourri for me for in the future? Yeah, sure. Um, okay, cool. Okay. All right. So next up for Maddie, I have selected Hulu number 61 through 90. All right. So let's see. I'm going to, I had to pick a number in there, right? Yes. I'm going to go with 87 because I was born 87. in 1987. That's so cute. Isn't it? Okay, uh, <laughs> this is really interesting given our uh, topic because this is called Absinthe, <laughs> the <laughs> definitive film on history's most notorious drink. Wow. Uh, that is very interesting. Cool. I am uh, looking forward to it. And of course, of course, you would pick, just by complete happenstance, a documentary. I know, right? <laughs> My God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I man. can't escape it. <laughs> nope, you can't. Uh, but yeah, I will watch that and then I won't, I won't have it for next, uh, next week because next week we're about to record the episode that we're going to release next week. Uh, but it'll be soon. Uh, Absinthe on Hulu. Watch it and you can hear my thoughts on it in a, in a later episode. Tweet me your thoughts about it and we can compare notes and everything. Nice. Um, but having said that, Tiny, I think we're done this week. I believe we are. Yeah. So thank you for listening and we will see you next week. Thanks guys. Thanks guys. I almost laughed for a second because when when you did that, you your foot like went in rhythm with your with your uh your words. I just turned on my PS3. Really? Yeah, it was funny. Like uh, in my peripheral vision, I just saw your foot like going. This is tiny and obsessive tiny on Twitter. Um, that's gonna get cut anyway. <laughs> your foot, not not the actual part of the recording. You cut off my foot. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm cool with that. It's okay. It's it'll it'll hurt a lot. <laughs> 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 Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at Matt, Tiny, or Mike at ObsessiveViewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at ObsessiveViewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at ObsessiveViewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer and follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer, at Obsessive Tiny, and at I am Mike White. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, ObsessiveBookNerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. 
Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.